Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this midweek edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, hit the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. The Red Sox just wrapped up a... Three-game set against the Detroit Tigers, winning the set two games to one. Red Sox remain in first place atop the AL East, two games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays. News out of Fenway, Michael Chavis and Jet Bandy will join the Red Sox in Baltimore via the taxi squad. The Red Sox have signed Brandon Workman to a minor league deal just one day after being released from the Chicago Cubs. The former Sox closer will report to AAA Worcester. Chris Sale is once again throwing off the mound down in Fort Myers. It's another milestone in his post-Tommy John recovery. He is still not expected, though, to join uh, the big club at Fenway until some point in July. News from around the league, the Anaheim Angels have designated Albert Pujols for assignment. The 41-year-old was in the final year of a $253 million deal. He is now a free agent and can sign with any interested teams. The Braves have signed Tyler Flowers to a minor league deal. He's a catcher, by the way. The move comes after Travis Darneau tore a ligament in his thumb and was subsequently placed on the 60-day DL. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. Joining me tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, how are you? You know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm coming to terms with my own mortality with Pujols getting released. I was a big MVP 05 guy. Now there's only three players left. And I think it's like Yachty Molina, Granky, and Miguel Cabrera. And when those guys are done, my childhood is done. So it's a, it's been a tough night. It's one way to look at it. Uh, where can the <laughs> audience find you on Twitter? That's going to be at Andrew Dwan MLB. Also joining us tonight, originally from Newport, Rhode Island, coming to us from the nation's capital, Job Goddard. Job, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. You know, um, this might be a little bit more of a negative outlook from me than you've heard so far. <laughs> but still, uh, Andrew and I continue our streak of not having a, a show after a losing series. We're on a streak all season long so far, so... So far, so good. And I'm um, doing good. All right. 
I uh, I'm not Mr. Happy either. Um, it, it was an ugly series. We're facing the the number 29th ranked pitching staff. Also happened to be the 29th ranked offense. They they're not flukishly bad. They're a statistically awful, horrible baseball team. And uh, coming off of another last place loss uh, against Texas. Um, wasn't quite the the cupcake series I thought it would be. And we got Baltimore coming up next. We swept them last time. That's a cupcake series, or at least it should be. And then we've got seven straight teams that could conceivably win a wild card spot. So we got a brutal stretch coming up, and uh, I didn't really like uh, what transpired despite the series win. Um, I'm right there. With, I'm right there with you, Terry. I think I made it pretty clear in the last show that we did that I thought we needed to take at least five of seven, if not six of seven, between the Detroit series and that Texas series. So I'm also on, you know, the negativity wave right now, despite winning two of three. Yeah, Andrew operates on the other side of the spectrum. So go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> what did uh, what did you uh, what were your observations in a nutshell? I mean. It was an ugly series, there's no denying that. Um, but at the end of the day, a win's a win for me. We saw some bright spots with some players and obviously some things that snowballed because of some other guys that probably, and we'll get into it, shouldn't be on the team. And once that gets figured out, I think uh, some of these games will be a little bit more clean and um, a little more fan-friendly, Let's let's say that. All right. Well, that's uh, fair enough. Uh, Let's go ahead and just kind of jump right into it. Studs and duds. Andrew, you're in the leadoff spot. Who is your stud for the series? Somebody frozen or... Oh, lost me. I think we lost you there, Terry, for a second. You got me now. Yeah, you dropped out completely. Okay, good now, though? <laughs> no? Uh, still nothing from you, Terry, but, okay. Andrew, I kind of agree with you. Uh, just while we wait for Terry, um, no win is a win, so that's good. But uh, I'm, I'm far more negative with you. I wish I had your positivity. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... oh, sorry, guys, uh, just a technical difficulty here. I'm just trying to get back in with these guys. It's happened before, unfortunately, and getting cut out. And ironically, it's always in the uh, early part of the show, so it's a a little awkward, and I apologize for that, but I'm uh, getting logged back in right now, and I'm going back to the invite, so... Um, Appreciate your patience. Good cross all divisions. No one's really running away with anything. Oh, Terry's back. Here we go. Yeah, I'm back. Uh, Can you guys hear me? (laughs) Right now. Okay. I was just apologizing profusely to the audience, and uh, typically that, like I said to them, only happens in the first few minutes. So we'll. Hopefully uh, not have that issue again. Uh, So getting into it, take two, studs and duds. Andrew, who's your stud for the series? 
My stud was Mr. Stud for the season so far, and that is J.D. Martinez. Um, anytime he, we, the Red Sox needed a hit, J.D. Martinez delivered. Did it have to be 400 feet? If it did, he hit it 400 feet. If it had to be a bloop in the left center, it was a bloop in the left center. Um, his last three games of the series were great. He went three for or two for five, one for three, and two for six. I, what else can you expect out of him and ask out of him? He's just producing at 2018 levels, which I didn't foresee happening. I just wanted 80% of that, and he's given us 100%. I don't know how he hit that ball into the bullpen last night um, through heavy mist, heavy winds. He's back. There's no other way to put it. He is absolutely back. And get on his back and ride him while he can. Joe, thoughts absolutely. On- that was like a that was like an August night at Fenway. The way that ball carried in, in extras by JD. But you're absolutely right, Andrew. Every time you need a hit, turn to JD. There he is, right? He delivers every single time. And it makes a little bit more sense to me, the longer I watch this team, why Xander Bogart is in that five That's Because teams have to pitch to J.D. Martinez if Xander Bogart is on that. And uh, I love that. But basically. Are your thoughts? Yeah, the best season of his career is what he's on pace for. And... He's been, he's, if I'm still hosting this show in 20 years, J.D. Martinez is probably going to hold the record for most studs in a season. (laughs) You know, it's just been every show. I I know I've picked him three or four times uh, since we have, uh, you know, gotten the season underway uh, starting on April 1st. And uh, it feels like we're getting repetitive, but... He just can't be ignored in every series. He's leading the league. Maybe he slips behind by one home run, but then he retakes it back. And you, you need a guy like JD if you're gonna if if you're gonna go on a run. So I I'm st- and another thing too, he, he's clutch. He's he's no situation is is too daunting. He comes through in almost every scenario imaginable. And and you need a guy like that. Yeah, and it seems like his leadership behind the scenes is is key for a lot of guys. So um, can't say enough about him. But, Job, you're stud for the series. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, my stud for the series is somebody that we haven't heard from a lot, Kevin Ploiecki. I don't think he's been either a stud or a dud for anybody. Uh, at this point, he hasn't played a lot, but uh, he brought his average today up to 283 by the end of game, and he delivered for you when you needed him to. He didn't call a great game behind the plate. Nate Evaldi didn't have his best stuff. No one in the bullpen was really that dominant today for the B squad, as we have come to call them, but it's been important for us to be able to just grind at bats, and Floecki's been really good at that. When you have Floecki in the lineup, what I really see, especially after you know, after we brought in Christian Vasquez there, pinch hit, you're, you're looking at a very deep lineup. It's just, it's hard to imagine what this lineup would be like if you didn't have, say, a, a J.D. Martinez from this year or, or 2018 J.D. Martinez. But equally, if we don't have Kevin Ploiecki, who was one of the bright spots last year, hitting well, then you can't give Christian Vasquez a day off. 
and he sometimes needs it. So it's it's been refreshing. He was good offensively. He was good behind the plate, didn't have any pass balls. Uh, he's my stud for the series for sure. Andrew, thoughts on Ploiecki? Yeah, I have no strong feelings either way about him. Actually, I might be slightly more down on him. Every time uh, when he was catching, it just seems like these guys can run on him pretty easily. So that's been a little bit of a concern for me. Um, The Red Sox have only thrown out four of the last 28 base runners. So that's definitely something that needs to get addressed or people are just going to take the base at will at this point, as we've seen, because that's just a terrible percentage. Uh, But he came through today. I think my biggest gripe, though, is that he has caused Dave O'Brien to talk every three freaking seconds about how he brought this laundry cart into the, uh, to the dugout. And you know, Dave O'Brien, once he gets on a topic, he won't stop about that damn topic until someone like tells him you physically can't mention it ever again. So um, maybe that's why I'm a little bit more down on him. It, it is every single at bat. He, he it loves every it. At-bat. Oh, it's crazy. And then I guess my other gripe was last night I thought he had a walk-off, but it was like a pop out the left, but thanks, Nesson camera guy. Like, you panned out, like, you hit onto the mass bike. It's almost like, you know, yesterday I watched the Cubs game immediately after the Sox ended, and Jock Peterson attempted to fly ball the right field <laughs> like, it was, like it was gone for a three-run bomb, and it wasn't, wasn't even for the warning track. Oh, his face after that, too, was great. It was great. And that, that's what the Nesson camera guy really did to Ploiecki. Ploiecki wasn't pimping it or anything, but he made it look like it was gone. Oh, absolutely. I like Ploiecki from an offensive standpoint. Uh, he very seldom ever strikes out. He's got five and, and 30 at-bats, and uh, I'm surprised he even has that many. He just always seems to get contact on the ball. He seems to be driving it a little bit more this year versus last year. He was kind of slapping them opposite field. So I kind of like that. I think he gives that position a little bit more stability. Like Andrew says, the the stolen bases are a little bit concerning. So I don't know if there's a way to kind of prevent that more. I I don't know, you know, if it's a matter of his arm or his pop time or or whatever it is. But I would like to say this, though. And we're going to get into some guys that are struggling here in a little bit. But I just wonder if if you're in a game and you know you need a little bit of offense, why not have Christian Vasquez play first base just so you can have Ploiecki's bat in there, too? No, I don't mind that. I was thinking about how the team is better offensively if you have J.D. Martinez in left over Franchi Cordero, who I don't think is good offensively or defensively, despite today's game. And then you have Christian Vasquez at DH and Ploiecki at catcher. That makes you one position deeper, you know, as far as the offense goes. A little worse offensively, no doubt, but a little bit better offensively. I, I, I do think these catchers need their rest, though. Like, a full day, don't do anything. Just, like, get your massage in the morning, get stretched out, and just don't worry about picking up a bat. Because, I mean, these their hands just take an absolute beating. How they even oh, grip a bat by the ninth inning is beyond me. Uh, they need some time off. Or else, I mean, I think they would, honestly, because his bat is valuable. 
Yeah, well, another scenario is simply to just do it in a, in a late inning situation. And, you know, then you're getting two quality at-bats. So I, just a thought. I, I'm, I wouldn't think it would be an everyday thing. But, it, you know, I, I do like what I see from Pulecki in the batter's box. So uh, just a thought. I thought Job was going to go there. It looked like he was starting to go there, and then he he didn't. <laughs> so I'm like. You know, he just he just doesn't. You already mentioned he doesn't strike out, but he, he takes good at-bats. You see four, five, six pitches every single time he's up. And to me. That's a quality at bat, whether you, you know, ground out the first or you get a base hit. If you see six pitches in the seventh, eighth inning, that's the difference between this guy pitching an extra inning or being pulled for somebody else. And over the course of three or four games set, that's huge. That's one less arm that you're not going to see. You know, another team's going to get tired. And as we go down the stretch, that's important. I, I love Pawecki. My stud for the series is uh, Xander Bogarts, who probably has the second most appearances uh, in this segment, but had a hit in every game, 5 for 14 on the series, uh, home run in uh, the second game, which unfortunately was a loss, but um, drove drove in uh, runs every game as well and uh, had two walks also in that second game. So Helping, you know, win in every way he can. I think he kind of is the de facto team captain. We did just speak about J.D. Martinez leadership. I didn't get to see the second half of the game today, but I got to listen to it on WEI as I was headed to work. I had about an hour commute, and Joe Castiglione pointed out one thing. Bogart said... I can't remember if it was a single or a walk. I think it was a walk, actually. He walked late. He drew a walk. Yeah, that's what it was. And as he was walking to first, he points to Rafael Devers and says, you're up, kid. You know, this is your moment. And I just thought, what a great leadership thing. And Castiglione painted the picture perfectly. You know, that's what he does. And, And that's what you want to see from a guy like Bogarts. And... He's my favorite player. You guys know me. I am the least sappiest guy on the podcast. I'm going to be the most savage. I try not to be too savage, but but if I'm sentimental about any player, it's definitely Bogarts. I, I don't know what it is. You know, from him playing third base in the in the 2013 World Series when he took the job away from Will Millbrooks, wearing number 72 on his back. I mean, what a great way to come up and. We've seen him struggle. We we've seen him hit rock bottom, and we've seen him rise. And he's my favorite player. Let me ask you guys this: I'm not I'm not great on the on the career stats, but does does he have a path to Cooperstown if he keeps his current trajectory, or does he fall a little short? I think he falls short. Uh, just based if they keep you know the three thousand hits and or whatever, 500 home run threshold, that's kind of seems mandatory. I just, okay. I don't, I, I don't see him hitting that, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. I for- You know, I think he could. I don't, you I'm think not so? necessarily sold that he would be short. Today was career game number 1,000 with the Red Sox. They made a big point of, of that on the broadcast. I'm looking at his career stats right now. In 1,000 games, he has 1,100 hits, 
124 home runs, almost 550 RBIs. Sounds two ninety one. So it could happen. You know, he's he's basically hitting two ninety one on his career. He's got three thousand eight hundred at bats. He's got eleven hundred hits. So, you know, if he gets another ten years of of baseball in him, you know, which is possible, he's only twenty nine. He could be at twenty six hundred hits, twenty seven hundred hits, and I don't necessarily know that that is short if he can bring the Red Sox to a World Series. He's only twenty eight years old. It's doable. It's, it's tough. No, no doubt it's a, it's a tall task, but it is possible, especially if his defense improved, in my mind. Because right now, the big you know downside to Bogart that everybody sees is his defense. But right now, he's leading the big leagues in hits. His defense has been better than advertised of, of late. And like you said, Terry, I mean, he's epitomizing next man up. So if everybody on the team looks to him as a leader and he carries this team to a, a World Series you know, gets a World Series MVP or something like that. I could see it, especially if he wins an MVP or two. To me, I I don't know. I, I don't think he can't have that longevity, but, you know, if he plays seven more years with getting a big contract after, like, you know, he opts out in two, why don't you just go back to Aruba at age 36? He's accomplished everything. He's got two rings. It's not like he's chasing anything at that point he's gonna be a red sox hall of famer that's for damn sure i mean he might even have his number retired someday um i don't know he he, he's accomplished in his short time pretty much what every player sets out to accomplish which is very very impressive for him. it is but i mean he could be at by the end of this season conceivably he has a a year the way that he's going right now he could finish with almost 1300 hits I, I Just think shy of thirteen hundred hits on the season. It looks on, like on his career. he'll finish around twenty six, twenty seven hundred hits is where it's kind of trending, and it's looking like maybe three hundred home runs max. So I, I, I mean, if those are really the the thresholds, the only outside chance maybe that could further make a case is if he ends up being a stud in October and. I've got his October numbers up here, and they're they're not good. He's a 290, 219 batting average, 300 on base, 333 slugging. So he's never really been a factor. If the Red Sox were to go on a run this decade and win two or three championships, he makes a huge mark, then maybe that could bolster his case. But winning three in this, in this decade is going to be hard with the Dodgers and the Padres, I think. I know the Dodgers are off to a rough start, but... Um, but yeah, we'll see. It's fun to think about, though. It's fun to think about, and if we're obnoxious enough, another another thing I've actually been think piecing this a little for a little bit. I wonder how players in their prime right now are going to get judged after they retire when it comes to Hall of Fame candidacy if they have say twenty eight fifty hits because they lost a hundred games due to COVID are there are we going to take that into account you know what I mean like it's like well he had 475 home runs he would have hit 25 home runs to get reach that 500 threshold if he had that extra 100 games that were taken away from him you know I think it's more likely that if there's a work stoppage next year then that too then then you have the work stoppage plus COVID then people probably start to take note but one or the other I doubt it you know if that makes sense 
But if, yeah. But beyond that, I think you know Xander Bogart is at the point in his career where you have to surround him with talent. He's an MVP candidate this year. No, no two ways about it. Just looking at his numbers, he's number one in hits, two in RBIs. Uh, he's leading the league in average. At last I checked, at three fifty three. You need to surround him with talent and, and push this team to win, you know, sooner rather than later. Because in two years, he's probably going to walk if you if you don't make an effort to surround him with talent. And I think this team, with him hitting the way he's hitting and JD being, you know, the JD of 2018, it could conceivably be a very, you know, a very deep run if Jared Duran comes up and can hit. If Jared Duran can come up and hit 280 with maybe eight home runs down the stretch, then you're looking at all of a sudden you're really solid one through seven, maybe one through eight, you know, with if Bobby Dahlbeck and Hunter Renfro only have to platoon, or if Michael Chavis comes up, you know, he's on the taxi squad now. If he comes up and starts dominating, I think this team can make a run with Xander Bogarts at the helm. So I don't necessarily think that it's out of the question that Xander Bogarts could win the MVP, and then you're looking at a whole different conversation. You know, once you have MVP votes, then it becomes a lot easier to talk about Hall of Fame. Next year, we could be having this conversation and say, oh, yeah, he's on base. Uh, One thing you guys did mention about the labor stoppage, apparently there was a conference call between league officials and union officials, and it was said to be a very positive conversation. So hopefully that gets negotiations off to a good start. They didn't really detail what was talked about. I will say this, though. I flip-flopped a bunch of times whether I think there's going to be a strike or whether I don't think there's going to be a strike. And I think with all the revenue lost in 2020, I just think they have to come to an agreement. Like the owners, there's no way they want to get smoked again for the second time in three years. And they're not getting full revenue right now, a lot of ballparks. I know Atlanta is about to be, and then Texas basically has been. So I don't, I just think they want to get things going. And I think the owners know they have to make some concessions and I'd, I'd say 80% chance, 80% chance that, that next season starts on time. I, mean, I like I, those percentages. Andrew, what do you think? I never, I never can judge that the union and the owner, they, the hatred and vitriol between the two. I, I hope to God that there's no stoppage, but I don't know. It's if there isn't, it's going to be like uh, one one minute before midnight uh, <laughs> decision that comes down that it comes down to. Yeah, but, you know, I think it's more likely, Terry, as we get closer. A lot of the younger guys were going to be big voices in the union in two or three years. You know, the Fernando Tatises, the Ron Lacunas, they all have their contract, right? So true because they're not in contract years or you don't have guys that are going to be, you know, holding out for the big bucks. As far as I look down the line at the next two free agency classes, especially next year, I don't see anybody who's going to hold out for big money because you have the guys who are going to get their money and the guys who are going to take less. There's no one really who's in that intermediary class that I look at who's also a leader in in the union. So to me, I think it's probably leaning is more likely there's no stopping. Well, that that would certainly be nice. Uh, Some honorable mentions to get to. Alex Verdugo, 4 for 10, hit a 
bullet opposite field up into the monster seats. That was fun to see. Game one. Christian Vasquez, 5 for 10, uh, drove in runs two out of the three games. Uh, pretty pretty good series for him. Marwin Gonzalez, 4 for 13, had also had hits in every game. That That's such a bad pitching staff. I guess most everybody had hits in every game almost. Gonzalez, though, had a 189 average coming into the series, 207 now after the series. Uh, Franchi Cordero, we'll get to him, but he was officially three for seven. had a had a big day today. Drove in a run, uh, got on base two other times, which uh, also led to him scoring. Uh, Kevin, well, you you got to Pulecki, uh three for five. Bogarts three for nine. Uh, did have two errors though. Uh, let's get into some pitching here. Nick Pavetta. Pretty solid start. Five innings, six hits, three earned runs, uh, two walks, eight strikeouts, which I believe is his high for the season. Um, thoughts on Pavetta? He continues to win. <laughs> That's all he's done so far, and he's given them five innings of competitive uh, ball every single time he goes out in – I don't know what more anyone can ask for out of a five starter. That that's just great consistency, uh, game in, game out. His pitch count has been up, but that's because of the strikeouts. If he starts, I don't know if we want to start him start pitching to contact a little bit more, but um, getting one more inning out of him that that would just be gold. Yeah, um, I mean, my pretty much thoughts on Nick Pavetta is that he's getting better. Every single time out. I know he had the no-hitter against Seattle going into the seventh. So people want to focus on that and say he's come down from that. I actually think he was just as good in this game as he was in that game. Just your, your one or two balls fall that didn't otherwise fall. He had an error uh, on the socks that cost him a little bit. To me, that's ex- like Andrew said, that's exactly what you want from Nick Pavetta. Five innings, eight strikeouts, three earned runs. He's starting to get a lot like my guy Martin Perez, you know, dependable, steady, not not necessarily a, a stud every time out. But if he can just carry the torch to the bullpen for, you know, two innings of relief and then Matt Barnes to shut the door, that's what we're looking for. You know, if it wasn't for that second inning, he he only would have given up one run. Uh, Reyes hit an RBI single with two outs, and then uh, Robbie Grossman and either the very next at-bat or the one after uh, also um, dro- uh, drove in a run. So uh, if he could have just got that one more out, he probably would have would have got out of the game with just giving up one earned run. Yeah, and if you look at his stats kind of all season – you would think, okay, he's having some mediocre start. But if you look at like the Seattle game, for example, if Frankie Cordero doesn't make that mistake in left field, there's two lesser in front. Right? And in that game, one base hit, which I understand it wasn't ruled an error. It could have been ruled an error by, by Grossman on that bloop. And you're looking at two earned runs instead of three earned runs, and all of a sudden his ERA is down half a point. And then it's a really good, solid outing you know, three times out for Pavetta. He's really outperforming what the stat line says. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd like to see him regularly go at least six. I I think he has the makeup for someone who can do it. 
Um, you know, like Andrew says, maybe pitching to contact might uh, make him a little more efficient, um, you know, as far as his pitch count goes. But um, I put Martin Perez in the, you know, in the honorable side. Um, five and two-thirds is what he pitched. Gave up six hits, three runs, only two earned, walked two, struck out six. Um, he just couldn't get out of that final inning and, um, Jacoby Jones actually got to him twice. Uh, one was the, uh, the single that, that, uh, was botched by Cordero out in left field. And then, uh, finally in the sixth inning, uh, Jacoby Jones basically pounded one off the monster. Two more runs came in and then Cora had to go out and get him and uh so um too bad he couldn't just kind of seal the deal and get out of the inning but uh not not a terrible performance uh from him any any thoughts yeah i mean that's what you come to expect from perez in my mind that's what i love about him is he's very consistent he's gonna give you the same five innings every single time with two maybe three earned runs uh and then he'll pass the ball off the bullpen the one thing I really thought about, Jones was the only guy who really had his number. Uh, he got himself into a little bit of trouble with the walks. Um, and, uh, you know, the error by Franchi didn't really help uh, giving up a run. But if you take Jones out of the equation, he was absolutely dominant. Uh, no one could read that changeup. Andrew, what did you think? The walks were frustrating. Walks will always kill. Um, and to do those, you know, back-to-back, I think it was, and then give up a rocket, definitely – it was frustrating, but honestly, the inning could have ended up being worse, but luckily it wasn't. He got out of it. Uh, I think he tied for the league lead in um, game high called strikeouts at that point. He had like six or something six. like that. Yeah. All, all called strikeouts, yeah. Yeah, he was really working that inside edge uh, to righties, which was a really good pitch. It was pissing um, Cabrera off to no end. So if you can go inside to Cabrera, even though he's, you know, getting up there and we already talked about Pujols, kind of the same situation, it, it's still a professional hitter, and that's a, it's a really good weapon there. Uh, Adam Ottavino made a couple of uh, appearances this series, got, him, got through them pretty much unscathed, uh, gave up a walk today, was the only guy, the only pitcher in today's game who didn't give up a run, actually. Um and uh, had a had a clean outing on uh, Wednesday in the six to five loss. So seems like every fourth or fifth start, he's just gonna be a dud and then be fine in between. I mean, that just seems to be the pattern. He's got his ERA down to four one five. So hopefully, he just settles into a groove here and. Uh, stays consistent because I mean they are using the hell out of him too which doesn't help especially using a guy using a guy like him on back-to-back days because those those batters have seen that slider at that point so it's not as effective they'll be able to lay off a little bit more yeah I was gonna say that I think he's being used too much that's my my one gripe with Alex Cora has been his kind of overuse, I think, of Adam Ottavino. And I, I know it's not necessarily his fault. There's not that many quality arms out there. But sometimes he goes to Ottavino, and I'm like, you know he doesn't have it after the first hitter. Like, you can just see it. I, I feel like Cora sticks with him sometimes one hitter too long. 
gives him four or five hitters, and you're like, after the first hitter, you know he doesn't have it. When it hits the three batter minimum, you got to get him out. And I realize because there's no one there behind him to really take that role. I'd like to see more Andres in, in those big eighth-inning moments or, or later in games because I think Andres has that ability. Um, and I'd like to give Autumn Ottavino a little bit more of a rest because I feel like, you know, like you said, Terry, it's three great outings on a dud outing. I think it's because he really can only pitch three days a week. He can't pitch in every game. And right now we're asking him to do too much because when it's not Barnes, it's Ottavino. That's just what we're looking at. Andres is kind of coming down to earth a little bit. He gave up a run today. I thought he gave up one in the in the first game, but um, that's not in my notes, so I'm not going uh, to bother. He find did, it. but that yeah. was an earned run that was charged Perez. Oh, so he came in after Perez. Got it. And, that's right. He came in and gave up one of the inherited runners. Yeah, got it. Okay. So hopefully, I mean, we don't really know what Andres is. I mean, he's been complete trash before he got here, and now he's gone on one of the best runs of his career. So kind of hoping he just kind of stays in that territory. But, I mean, a month from now, we could be having a different conversation about him. Yeah, I'm not necessarily, you know, too sold on the fact that it has to be Andres. I just, and I know Andrew agrees with me, the usage of the bullpen is something we kind of have to watch, especially as we get into, you know, late May, early June. We have a stretch of opponents here over the next six weeks that you mentioned it that are all above 500 teams that could all sneak into the playoffs, and our bullpen is already tired. So I don't know who the next guy up is, but this bullpen is kind of one arm short. Uh, keep everybody rested. And we'll, yeah, the or go ahead. Well, I was just going to say really quick, the guys that are struggling right now with the Andres and Whitlock, their changeups haven't really been landing. Um, they're a little bit more flat than they had been when they've been so effective. So we get that back uh, under control. They should be good, but it's just going to take getting rid of uh, Bryce and Taylor, getting some fresh arms up here, figuring out what's going on with Cora's faith in Valdez. Cause uh, he pitched for the first time since like April 24th today. Um, we got, they just have to figure out what they're going to do for warm bodies out there. If there's some people we don't trust. Yeah. And I was going to build off of what Job said with the fatigue thing, because Andrew a week ago going into the Texas series, you made a point which I thought was pretty plausible that that Texas series was going to be one in which we're resting a lot of the late inning higher leverage guys and we blew right through all of them basically and then we did the same thing this series so so that that's another major concern that I have going forward especially as we get into this brutal stretch here yeah, I agree. I mean, my takeaway from this series as a whole, I think I put it in chat for the post-game reaction, this team struggles to put teams away. We stick with, you know, we kill the starting pitchers for other teams who are stuck. We beat Glasnow. We beat, uh, I'm missing on names right now, but we beat everybody's ace. You know, we, we compete with every team. But we struggle to put the bad teams away. Austin Bryce goes out, gives up a three-run home run. He was Andrew Dud for that. You know, he's going to be somebody's Dud. I think Andrew, I think he's probably your Dud. We'll talk about it. But to me, you need to take the Tigers out of that game. You, you have a ten, you have a ten to three lead. They shouldn't be back in that game. There's no reason why you have to go to Andrew. That should be Josh Taylor and 
Billy Valdez and the bottom of the barrel guys, Austin Bryce, right? Those shows should be your three guys at the end of the game. Instead, you have to go to Andres and Ottavino in those games because, unfortunately, you let them get close. So what we really need is, like, some balance. I, I hope this Orioles series is it. I know it's four games, which is always tough. And today's game was late, so it didn't even really give them a chance to get into Baltimore with some rest. But w- we need to find a way to give Barnes, Ottavino, and Andres, like, two days off in a row. And right now we're struggling to do that. Yeah. I, I know Andrew's kind of the guy who understands the farm, Perry. I was wondering if there's somebody they could call up, maybe, you know, Bizardo, I think is the name Andrew's mentioned, that could give him some, some long-arm relief. Bizarro coming up would be great. I don't know what their plans are with that right now. They probably want him to face some uh, minor league AAA hitting at this point. It's been so long since he's faced live non-Red Sox batters, but... Yeah, I mean, you got guys like him, Kevin McCarthy down there. There are definitely arms that they can eventually bring up, but I do think it's because it's been so long that they've faced outside of organization competition. They want to give them a few uh, a few times out before they pull that trigger, especially with some of these counter moves that will have to go into it with DFA and guys, uh, since not all these options are on the 40 man, especially if they want to figure out a way to get Danny Santana up soon. And uh, like if they want to eventually bring up Yairo Munoz too, because those are two guys that aren't on the 40. So there are, there's a lot of dominoes that could fall with any scenario of bringing guy up. Unfortunately, is McCarthy on the 40 man or no? I don't think so. Okay. Because he was a minor league deal. Well, that makes sense because he he didn't give up a run in spring training as far as I know. Mm -hmm. If he did, it was at the end. But So I guess with him not being on the 40, man, that's probably why they haven't called him yet. But we're kind of – Yeah, I just checked. He's not – Not on there. Okay. We kind of got into this segment a little backwards, but let's go back to the top. And uh, uh, who's your dud for the series, Andrew? Austin Bryce, um, and honestly, I think they were cruising, absolutely cruising in that game until he got in, and he just crapped the bed. There's no other better way of putting it. Uh, One third of an inning, let up four earned runs off three hits. That's not going to get it done. And honestly, that could have set the pace. If he came in, shut the door, and then they close out that game, Detroit's probably like, screw this, let's get out of town eventually, and they might not get up for the the next game. Casey Mize might not care as much, and then they might not have as much fight today. Austin Bryce gave the Tigers some some hope. He gave them a window. They pried that window open, and, you know, it led to Ottavino coming in. It led to Matt Barnes coming in instead of being um, like a Darwin and Hero game. Then you got to go to the A team. It sucks. There's just dominoes that fall with that kind of performance. And Austin Bryce's spot in the 40 is just way more important than his arm is at this point. Uh, that's the only value he holds is his 40 man roster spot. Joe, thoughts on Bryce? That might be the harshest we hear, Andrew, about any player all season. So I just want to take a moment to think about that. Um, no, you know, I kind of talked about it. I think Austin Bryce almost cost us that game. And if we lost today, I would say he probably cost us today's game. Does that make sense? 
But we had to burn the arms that we could have used today in game one because of Austin Barnes' inadequacy. So he's by far and away the dud. He doesn't pitch often enough where he's going to be a dud all the time. Like, he's almost a dud just because he's a waste of the roster spot. You know, like Andrew said. Like, he could be a dud every series because we're carrying 13 arms, only three position players, because we have Austin Bryce, who we can't trust. That's, you know, somewhat of an issue for me. Uh, and, I'm you know, I'm honestly at the point where I would send Austin Bryce down and in a corresponding move I'd bring up a position player because if you're not going to use the arm, and even when you do use him, he's not going to get outs, then at that point, you might, you might as well pitch a position player for the amount of success that, that he's having. Yeah, he caused Matt Barnes to go one and two-thirds inning. You don't want Matt Barnes to get five outs. That should, in theory, burn him for the next three days, but we needed him, so it didn't. <laughs> There's just so many pieces that go into that pathetic performance by Austin Bryce. And, I mean... You got two guys, I don't think anyone else mentioned Taylor. I, you got two guys that just suck, that are unusable. Get They have to go, and I do think they're waiting to figure out some of these bodies that are going to be coming up from Worcester um, before they end up sending these guys out into the streets. So, I don't know, just pack well, them away and bubble you know, wrap. I understand wanting to give Josh Taylor some more rope because he's a lefty. The only other lefty out there is Darwinson Hernandez. So I understand that he gets a little bit more rope. But the fact that we have Austin Bryce you know, out there in the bullpen to not get outs, not even get in games, and then it's taking away a roster spot that could be you know, a bench bat, that bothers me to no end because we're, we sit here and complain every single day in our, you know, in our private chat or on Twitter about the lack of production from the bottom three of this order. And we could easily have another piece that could be hitting at the bottom of this order, but we don't because we have Bryce in the bullpen. You know, he's simply the weakest link. I mean, there's not much I can really add to it um, that you guys haven't already. I know Cora goes to him a lot if we're down by a run or two, which is frustrating because then I'm like, oh, well, now we're about to be down by three or four runs and now we got no chance. So, Hopefully he's the next man out. I don't see why he wouldn't be. Um, I know Taylor looked bad today. I think he he was the first one in after Evaldi, and I knew it was going to be bad because he came in with runners on base. There were no outs. Like there's just no. That's a no win situation. If he's coming in with at least one out already, he sometimes he he just kind of finishes off the inning and. And, um, but he's another guy, you know, there's Bryce at the very bottom and then there's Taylor. So, um, yeah, Taylor threw right in between the wickets to Plowecki and then he gets a ground ball and doesn't cover first. It was like, I saw dude, that. like what is this laziness? Yeah. I don't understand it. Like Jesus. And then he throws his hustle. arms up. Then he throws his arms yeah. up over his head. Like it's somebody else's fault. Like yeah. Somebody else is supposed to cover first. Yeah, so, no one's going to go to your defense, Josh. Sorry. Yeah, it, it's a waste of roster space to have Austin Bryce on the roster. And to me, I understand giving Josh Taylor some rope. He's shown some flashes of being able to pitch at this level. But if you look at his velocity, it's down like three or four points. And to me, his delivery is just off. And I, I don't necessarily think that he can't be in the big leagues and make an impact. But he needs some serious time. You know, pitching in front of a pitching coach, 
who has time to deal with just him. And right now, I think Dave Bush is just struggling to find time to, to talk to all these guys who are kind of head cases out there. So not everybody is pitching lights out. In fact, we know that our pitching coaches can do great work because they put Richard back on the map as a, as a good starting option, uh, or at least an adequate starting option. And I would love to see some more time working with Josh Taylor, but you can't spend time working with Josh Taylor if everybody's kind of off. So I'd like to see Josh Taylor go to Worcester and work on his, you know, work on his velocity, his delivery, his stuff for a month or two, and you know maybe see him again in August or September if we need another arm. Yeah, if you can't pitch well on this pitching program, you probably don't have a very bright future in the big leagues. Yeah, unless you're pitching for the Rays, you probably don't have a more supportive pitching coach uh, than Dave Bush. And on top of that, there's probably not a lot of organizations that have as much patience as the Red Sox have when it comes to pitching. You know, we're willing to let guys blow game after game. Yeah, Corey's not going to quit on you. He's shown that. Yeah, he will have your back. 100%. He'll go to bat for you. And the fans, they trust Cora. So when Cora goes to bat for you, the fans kind of lay off for a couple of days. So the, the pressure is much less because of Alex Cora. I just don't see how you fix Josh Taylor. And I don't think Austin Bryce necessarily has the stuff. I don't see how you fix Josh Taylor while he still has to face big league pitching. His confidence is just not there. It's just totally shit. Uh, moving on, uh, Job, who is your dud for the series? Looking forward to this one. Well, my dud is somebody who hit a home run in this series. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to be like, what? He hit a home run? He must have had a good series. But my dud is definitely Hunter Renfro. Um, you know, I think the one thing that we've seen from Hunter Renfro from the uh, you know from a quality standpoint has been defense. We've seen great defense in right field all season from him. We didn't see terrific defense in this series. He had one ball down the that he could not dig out in, in right field that led to a couple of runners moving into scoring position that came in to score eventually. Uh, and then offensively today, 0 for 5. You can't have a guy hitting 0 for 5 almost every time. It's like, I know I understand offense is down across the league, but when you look at the Red Sox lineup and you see four guys hitting below 200, Something's got to give. And and to me, Hunter Renfro has been given a lot of slack because his defense has been great. That's a lot of what we ask for in right field in Fenway. But this series, he just did, didn't show me enough, especially today. If you can't get a hit off the Detroit Tigers bullpen, who are you going to hit? Uh, Andrew, thoughts on Renfro? Yeah, you know, the other day was a really good showing out of him, and that's the potential that's there. Um, it's definitely not going to be there all the time, unfortunately. I thought it was going to be there more consistently. I did think he was actually going to put together himself quite the year. But I, he's a platoon guy. That's what they signed him for. Um, I do think we got to hold out just a few more, few more weeks, which sucks to say, but – like I feel like I've been saying over and over again, but until we can get <clears throat> a Danny Santana up here, um, uh, Jaron Duran, if he starts hitting, you know, come late May, we can go with a longer bench, get rid of some of these arms that we don't need to use, as we've seen since, you know, Valdez, who's been effective, doesn't pitch, get rid of Bryce, bring up a corner outfielder. And I think his effectiveness will go up. Uh, I'm happy about his defense so far, but 
it seems like he falls into a trap when he gets pull happy. And when he's not getting pull happy, he looks like an all-star because he's smacking it to right center field uh, over and over again. And then he'll pull one dead left field for, you know, a 450 foot home run. You know, it reminds me a lot of Andrew Benatendi last season. He's like, I need to hit home runs. I need to hit for power. And I think a lot of that's in his head. And he knows that, okay, if I don't hit for power, my job's not safe because I'm only hitting 200. So he gets in his own head. His approach changes. I I don't love it. I think he has a great swing for Fenway. He could plant the ball off the monster consistently. And if he can hit 240 with a little bit of pop and the defense that he plays, which frankly I think has been terrific, he's been you know, frankly frowned upon for his defense elsewhere. But I think he's played great, right, at Fenway. Like I mentioned, only one bad defensive play this series. I think it's his first one all season that I'm like, wow, that was a mistake. Um, he could be a really good player on this team he can, if he can hit 240. But he needs to get his approach right. I'm just – I never liked the signing. And the perplexing thing about it was it was such an early signing. Uh, so he's been as bad as I thought he would be. and. It drove me nuts after that first game to see all the beat writers being like, this is the guy, this is the guy we signed, this is what he's capable of. And then, Job, like you said, he goes 0 for 5 twice in game yeah, it's two. it's almost like that's that's why he was my dud, because everybody hyped him up so much. Like I've come to expect a 1 for 5 uh, performance from him, or a 1 for 6, 2 for 10, whatever. I've come to expect that from him. But the fact that he was, you know, decent in the first game, and then everyone talks about how he's the next coming of Mike Trout, drives me over the wall. Uh, so that's partially why he's my dad, is because I can't stand the Boston media and Twitter universe going, "Oh, this is the guy that Heim Bloom envisioned." Like, I know that's who he envisioned, but you just saw the best game he's going to have all season, potentially, and you're talking about how this is what he's going to be every day from now on. Now, if he's like that every day in July and August. I'll be happy eating my words and saying he's great. Right now, he's just not showing enough. And to be honest, I don't think the hole would be that big if you had somebody in left field who could hit. Because I think his defense in right matters a lot more than people think. People forget that right field at Fenway is like center elsewhere. And frankly, he's been good. Uh, but again, he's one of those guys who needs to just be pitching from one side of the plate, uh, rather one from one side of the mound. And he can't do that because his platoon partner out there has just not been good. Basically. Yeah, I do think. Or go ahead. Sorry, go on. Oh, well, okay. Well, I was just going to say, I do think they are asking him to play too much at this point, And that has to get under control. You got to, I mean, that was the thing going into the season. It was like, you can pick and choose when you're going to start these guys to put them in the best situation. And because of injuries, I mean, we've seen Arroyo taking a absolute freaking beating like a quarterback with no offensive line lately. Um, that limits your Kike uh, movement, who's now hurt. So they've been unable to pick and choose their spots, and I do think that's putting guys in positions to almost fail, which kind of sucks for them. And I do think it's unfair, but they got to fight a little bit harder. And I – with Renfro, my thing is he doesn't need to pull the ball 450 feet to left because when he hits it to right center, his exit velocity is like 110. So that's going to land. That's all we need. Just make contact. And we'll get through this stretch, and then we can reassess with a better depth chart. 
He's a he to me he's a poor man's Mike Trumbo is what he is. I would, oh, that's a good comparison. I never would have thought of that. I w- I'd love it if he was just Mike Trumbo. I think we'd all be thrilled with that. Uh, but he's just he's not that good. He strikes out a lot. He also stranded the bases loaded uh, in game two in the sixth inning, uh, which could have uh, potentially flipped that game. But um, I, I'm just not a fan. And when you have him and Cordero in the lineup, that's your <laughs> – you're, you better, well, that's tough. Saying, right? you, no, that's you, tough. You better have all your runs scored by the time Vasquez finishes his at bat because they they're not coming, and anyone else beyond Vasquez. So, and I don't think they planned on that either. I don't think they planned on having both of those guys in the lineup at the same time. I think they wanted to do the lefty righty situation, but we've seen you know Kike being forced into center. Um, or no, and Verdugo being out for a little bit. It's just been tough. I think if Cora had his way, only one of those guys would be starting uh, each game. You know, and I think you've seen the ability for those two guys. They can both hit the ball from one side of the plate. Renfro's been pretty good against lefty, but he can't hit right-handed pitch. And Cordero's the opposite. can't hit lefty. And almost Dahlbeck's almost the same. I think he's hitting like 080 against right-handed pitch and 347 against left-handed pitch. That's like that is to me is a platoon player, but he's playing every day. But so the bottom third of your order is all guys who need a complimentary piece, and the complimentary piece is there. So it, it's tough. But if Hunter Renfro can hit, you know, right now he's hitting two hundred eight. If he can hit two twenty eight and play good defense, that's totally acceptable for me, as long as the rest of the roster plays well offensively. And you can't do it when Ranchi's hitting 150, whatever the hell he's hitting now. And you can't do it when Bobby Dahlbeck is an automatic strikeout with runners on base. You still shouldn't have them both in the lineup. I mean, you have Kike Hernandez and you have Marwin Gonzalez who can both play in the outfield. There's literally no reason to have them in there. But Cora just seemed to want to, especially in the Texas series, wanted him to maybe play out of it or something. And... Probably thought that was a good series to do it, and before you knew it, we lost three out of four games. Well, you know, I don't blame Cora for wanting to get these guys at bats at all, Terry. Andrew and I, you, Andrew, and I have all talked about it. It's important for Cordero. He needs to see the ball every day. You know, he's at a point where he still has a lot of career development. He only has 200 career at bats in front of him. That's nothing. You know, that's like, that's Dustin Pedroia in May of of his rookie year hitting 107. And everybody thinks he's he's terrible. And why why don't we have Cora hitting? Cora's hitting three hundred. That's exactly what Frankie Cordero is right now. He's at that point in his career, but he's only seeing pitching once out of every three days because he can't hit. So he needs to go to Worcester and figure out his swing. But right now, with injuries and everything going on, and the fact that minor leagues are only starting now, you haven't really been able to make roster moves. I think it's coming. I think you're going to see some roster moves upcoming pretty soon. Yeah, like I said, I mean, what's the point of having? Yeah, I agree. Super- I think we're definitely going to see these roster moves coming pretty quickly. Um, Chavis is on the taxi squad right now, and I think that is the um, first step to it. And then, like I said, Duran has gotten off to, uh, quite frankly, a miserable start in AAA, facing advanced pitching for the first time in his career. 
since changing his swing up. Um, so it's going to take a second for him to adjust. It really will. And I don't want to see him rushed um, up to the majors because I just that that could be a death wish uh, on a you know a young player. So like we've seen with Frazier, you know, it's like you don't want to <laughs> learn when you're up there when you know your feet are on the fire. So we just got to get through this stretch. Got to get some of these options up here, and we can have a better depth chart and put these guys in better spots to succeed. And a lot of pressure is going to come off that top half of the lineup, which all the pressure has fallen onto at this point. Uh, luckily, they're answering that call. Yeah. Uh, Terry, <laughs> Terry, your thoughts? I, like I was just saying, I mean, I wish they would just utilize Gonzalez and uh, Hernandez a little more strategically than, than having them in there because there's no point in having the versatility that we have if you're going to put those two players, Cordero and Renfro, in the lineup together. I, it just it so drives then, me nuts. What, what, is your, what is your ideal lineup? Assuming we're basically... I would right just have... I would just... Average. What's ha- your bottom third? I would just have one of them in the lineup with Verdugo. And I, I know Verdugo did miss a game with, with some back issues, but... Um, but just put Kike in that third spot or put Marwin in the third spot. You know, I, that's how I would run it. I just I I just feel like it's it's almost an automatic loss when those two are in there together. And getting to my dud and this guy makes it worse too. This guy absolutely makes it worse. Bobby Dahlbeck um 0 for 28 now and He's kind of, I mean, he hasn't even been stellar defensively. He's got four errors uh, coming into the day. Devers had less, but uh, by the end of the day, uh, tacked on two more himself. But um, but I'm just, I'm done with the Dahlbeck experience, uh, you know, and the, there's so many layers to this. But when Bogarts, Bogarts hadn't hit a home run in s- several several games and then when he finally hit one he started hitting more and he's hit i think five or six now Dahlbeck finally got his home run in the met series and not only did he not hit more home runs he hasn't had any hits since then that home run that's his last hit in the series uh that's his last hit this season and when i look at him it doesn't matter if he's on first base or if he's in the batter's box I don't like his demeanor. He looks like a guy that's uncomfortable. And I saw a play with Cordero. It was the same game he booted that ball, that grounder. Later on in the game, Cordero actually made a a good catch that he had to run in on. And he had this goofy laugh on his face like he just won a teddy bear at a carnival or something. But Dahlbeck just has this perpetual state of... I don't even know how to explain it. He just he just doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look like he belongs up here with the big club. And like we were saying earlier in the group chat, there's no other options unless you – well, there are options actually. You could go with Chavis or I'm assuming Arauz is on the 40-man. He's a middle infielder, but they've had all the time in the world to to make him a first baseman, and I would take that. 
I, I, I watched Hanley Ramirez do it. So uh, almost anybody can play first base that, that plays the infield. I'm tired of Dahlbeck. Well, that look you were describing is um, defeat, quite frankly. He and that's looks why defeated. Yeah, that's the he way is. to oh, yeah, it. And I feel terrible for him because, I mean, he's a good kid by all accounts. It's not like he's a douchebag or something where you, like, you know, like get him out of town. I don't even care if he fails. But, um, yeah, it sucks to see because he had such a good spring. And we saw what he can do and the potential there. But he is so far in his own head right now that it's hard to get out of that. It's Baseball is mental. Baseball is freaking hard. Just watch Pitching Ninja highlights every night. It's like, I'm shocked. How is Mike Trout hitting 400? <laughs> um, yeah, he – I don't know if he needs a couple days off. I don't – the core said today he doesn't want to send him down because core is going to ride or die with him because that's who core is. And I – Maybe if uh, Kike ends up hitting the DL here, we will see Chavis come up and then give Dahlbeck four days off in a row where he can just not even come to the ballpark, get away, hit the cage, watch tape, and just try to get right. Because sometimes that's what you need. You know, what he really needs, I think, you mentioned, Andrew, he needs like a sports psychologist. You know, he needs a little J.D. Martinez Mm -hmm. hitting coach magic out there. Because he hit that home run in the Mets series, and we all went, okay, blowing into my microphone here. Big sigh of relief. It's finally time. He's going to have that first one off his back, pressure's off. Now he's going to go on a tear. We're going to see six home runs and two six in the next 10 days. And instead we saw the opposite. I think what that is is he went from having like this easy time in spring training where the pressure's kind of off, I mean, I know he's fighting for a job, but that's not the same as playing in the big league. And then he put so much pressure on himself that when he finally got that home run, he's now taking that approach where if it's not middle in, I'm just going to kind of wave my bat at I'm not even going to really put a, a quality you know, jet into the ball the opposite field. I'm just going to kind of swing half-heartedly, and if they give me something inside, then I'll swing out of it. Just, it just, like you said, Andrew, it looks like defeat, especially – in today's game, I want to say his second at-bat, was it today's game or, or yesterday's game? In his second at-bat, he got hit with three fastballs away, and he didn't make contact with any of them. And he didn't even look frustrated. He just looked resigned. Like, this is this is what mm-hmm. my lot is now. To me, that is worse than anything that I've seen all season. Those are the pitches that are you know out of the strike zone that Xander Bogart is hitting double. And Bobby Dahlbeck has that ability. If he can just go out there and keep his head on the ball, and, you know, keep the swagger and the confidence they had in spring training, this kid could be great. He's just not seeing the ball well, and he's in his own head. So he needs some serious time off. I would like to see him in AAA just to get kind of his swagger back. But if you demote him at his lowest point, I don't know that you ever see him back here as the same hitter. So I don't know what yeah, you do with Bobby Dolbeck. You know, you might give him, you know, if you send him down to AAA, are you ever going to see the same guy again? Probably not. You see the guy who's always focused on his mechanics and his swing and what am I doing wrong and not the guy who goes, I'm a really good baseball player. I'm going to hit the ball my way. Your best against my best. I'm going to take it deep. So I don't know. You don't want to, you don't want to break the player by rushing him. And frankly, I would not care with his, you know, for his performance. Either way, his performance has been bad. But if he was performing this way and you didn't have Frankie Cordero and Hunter Renfro in front of him, 
we wouldn't even really notice. We'd be like, okay, this kid's still mm-hmm. trying to find his feet. You know, I just think this team is, they went on a nine-game win streak and they boosted everybody's expectations and everybody's now watching the Red Sox. The focus is there. The pressure is on Bobby Dahlbeck because the guys in front of him are terrible too. If you were, if you were good one through eight, it wouldn't matter. He, yeah, he's got to get back to that point where in Minnesota, I don't know if you remember, he hit that line drive that was caught in right field, and Cora was happy. And then he, he was like, that is a great at-bat. And absolutely. Remy caught on to it like that. He was on it so quickly. And then that sparked something. And all of a sudden, he was up to 280. And then it, something went down again. And then it almost seems like he's getting afraid of striking out and his swings change a little bit. His trajectory and his swing path are him just trying to make contact, and he's hitting the ball to the third baseman when he is, but he's not driving it. He's just and waving the bat at the ball. Yeah, exactly. He's, like I said earlier, he's so far in his own head, his mental, and you have a good point. Like a sports psychiatrist would probably be a good idea, and I guarantee they have one on staff. So I, I actually, I mean, I, I don't even know what it would take to get um, Chavis onto the roster without DL and a guy, but give him four days off with don't even show up status. That'd be great. But they, they got a lot of guys nicked up right now. I don't know if we could pull it off. He struck out. You know, I think this might be a big, a big get right game though. You know, Baltimore is where everybody hit that batter's eye in Baltimore is huge. So it's possible. This is it. We might see another positive swing from Dahlbeck and then you can sit him down. You know, you know, end on a good note. Sit him down. Send him down for three weeks uh, he, after he has a good series. He struck out five out of his 11 at-bats. Stranded seven base runners today. And ironically, when he was pulled for Christian Vasquez to pinch hit, Vasquez drove in a run. Got in a hit, drove in a run. That's what we're missing. You, you, you send him up there and it's... It's an automatic out, and I've noticed the pattern. Andrew was talking about where he he kind of got into a rhythm. I was looking through some of my older tweets about Dahlbeck, and mid to late April, he had hits in like six out of eight games, and some of those games were multiple hits. That was his best run. But even during that stretch, there was still a pattern of him not getting hits when guys were on bases. So I don't know what happens in his head in that moment but he's especially bad when when guys are on bases in front of him and and today he stranded seven runners so um and seeing Vasquez like I said drive in that run it, it just shows you what you're missing and so Terry I don't want to do this kind of the whole I don't want to do this all season so this will be the last time that I bring this up but assume for a second that Franchi Cordero is not on the roster and what you have instead is the Andrew Benatendi that you had in 2018, right? He's hitting 290. He's projected for 15 home runs. You get a little bit of power. And your lineup is one deeper. If you can go one through eight and not worry about your lineup, or one through seven, really, do you really even notice that Bobby Dahlbeck is scuffling like this? Or do you just say, okay, he's just a young guy trying to find his feet? That's kind of where I'm at. The rest of the roster stinks, and that's why we're focused so much on Bobby Dahlbeck's struggle. Well, I mean, it's it's the whole third of the order. I mean, I guess if guys are hitting in that third of the order, then yeah, my frustration level is a little bit lower than what it is. But 
Um, but at the same time, all winter long, I maintained the exact same narrative. I said, I'm not even convinced this guy's a big leaguer. And it's been worse than what I expected it would be. So um, hopefully there's a solution. Chavis is with the taxi squad. I don't know who's higher on Cora's totem pole right now, Cordero or uh, Dahlbeck. Uh, Chavis could play either position. He's a better first baseman than he is an outfielder. So um, I guess if you subtract one of those guys from the lineup, I, I know Cordero had had a three for five day today, but like we said with Renfro earlier, had that nice game, went 0 for 10. That's I would never drink the punch, uh, you know, on any player on just one game because coming into today, April 19th was the last hit for Cordero. So the, the this I, I haven't really knocked him so far on the podcast, but Alex Verdugo is the only Heim Bloom bat that's really panned out. The rest of them are have just been a total disappointment. I'm kind of on the fence with Kike. He seems like he's trending the right way. He did have a hit in every game, but I don't think he's gonna be viable in that leadoff spot. And when he's when he is running bad, he's an extension of the bottom third because he's in that one hole. So it's seven through one that are bad. So. I'd like to see Bloom and Cora come up with a solution here to get guys up here that can hit. And I, I don't know that Michael Chavis is that guy. I mean, he's only one for yeah. seven in seven plate appearances in, in the first couple of games in the minor league. So it's not like he's breaking straight out of the gate. He's going to be the guy to plug and play and take that role from Dahlbeck. There's no real threat there in my mind that he's going to take the job from somebody. But if you can get him up here and he can hit 215 or 220 and give Bobby Dahlbeck some time to figure out his swing... That would be ideal for me. And I would I wouldn't mind seeing Chavis up here for a good stretch. I think Michael Chavis has a better opportunity this year to produce for the Red Sox than Bobby Dalton. I was on that wave in spring training. I was on that wave, you know, early in the season. I think Michael Chavis, you know, he has a very glaring hole in his swing, which is the high fastball. Everybody kinda knows that. Yeah. But if he can, you know, start to slap that ball it could be devastating for, you know, other other teams. Because if you get the Red Sox with a guy in the seven or eight hole that's hitting, you know, for power, Michael Chavis can hit for power. Then you're looking at a really, really deep team. So it, it's possible the Red Sox make, you know, get a spark out of one of these guys who claims a position. And Guy Munez is not on the 40-man, but he's another guy that I would like to see up in Boston at some point pretty soon if we can find a way to get him. Chavis hit. He plays good defense, and he can hit. Chavis hit 18 home runs, 58 RBIs in, in 2019. So um, 254 was his average. Last year, 212. He walked a lot less. But I'm still taking that. I'm still taking that because he's done it. And I, I can't. I think I've said it at least once on the show and, and maybe um, also privately. I'm curious to see what Chavis is like in a last chance situation because this is it for him. Tristan Costas is going to be up next year. And I've got some theories on Devers. If he's up, he's on his corner. Costas is on his. There's no pathway for Chavis if if he doesn't make the most of one last chance. He's He's going to be doing it for another team. So 
I'd like to see him in that in that scenario and, and see what he does with it. I mean, I'm just gonna sound like a broken record where with I, I think Danny Santana is kind of the answer here for a lot of our holes because he can play six different positions, including shortstop, which he was playing today. He had a home run from the right side, a double from the left. Granted he's playing in Greenville right now as a rehab, but yeah. <laughs> This is a guy that had 28 home runs just a few years ago and can play first base and switch hit. So uh, we know this team values versatility, and I don't want to say just wait on a couple more weeks, but (laughs) that's kind of what I'm pushing. But I would like to see Chavis get on here. If we have to get rid of Bryce, I don't care. (laughs) I really don't care. Get rid of him. We'll figure out if we have to get rid of uh, Brandon Brennan, who they signed the other day, give up his 40 spot. Sorry. (laughs) Seattle reliever. Yeah, I mean, even if you put, just say you put Santana in left field, then you could potentially have a platoon of Gonzalez and and Chavis at first base with. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. That's fine. But um, I'm just saying we're, we're not hitting well. And Martinez Bogarts. Endeavors have been doing most of the damage. Verdugo has come on in recent weeks, and um, Vasquez. I'd like to see Verdugo in the leadoff spot. I think Kike would be great in the seven or eight, and I think he he would take some pressure off himself, not trying to set the table uh, game in and game out. And I think he'd be better better set for it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd have to bump everybody up a spot unless you think Santana can slot into the, into the two hole there. But, um, but I, I'm not a fan of Kike. I, I've said it a bunch of times already in the leadoff spot. I mean, on, and I think he'd bring a lot of stability, um, to the bottom third, you know, based on his career numbers. So, um, which are just a little bit better than Bradley's, but go ahead. I'm on the point where I think we could reshuffle the batting order every couple of days. He would be better off. I think you could put Xander Bogarts in the one, JD at two, and Raphael Devers at three, and you're looking at the most potent starting, you know, first three of any order in baseball. Yeah, and Toronto could, could did hit that. fifth. Yeah, you know, you could just put your three best hitters first. Uh, Xander Bogarts sees a lot of pitches. He's still protected by J.D. Martinez, so you could, you know, get him something to hit. And then Rafael Devers can clean up, and you can have either Verdugo hit fourth, or you can have Vasquez hit fourth, Verdugo hit sixth, uh, hit fifth, rather. And you're looking at, you know, a really strong starting five, but instead of it being three, four, five, or two, three, four, being your strongest hitters is one, two, three, um, which used to be kind of the way it worked. It used to be, you know, your best contact guy first, and uh, following with your two best power hitters at three and four, and somebody in the middle. Uh, but it was up to me, Xander Bogart, to lead off. I think he gives you the best chance to put a guy on second base in the top of the first every time. I mean, I, I doubt Cora, just the fact that Devers has stayed in the five hole, which none of us foresaw you know, at the start of the season. I just don't know that he's going to deviate from it. And the one thing that we don't talk about very much is – 
Devers on base percentage is like 80 or 90 points higher than his batting average. So if they don't pitch to him, he's like, fine, I'll take my base. I don't care. And then Vasquez he doesn't swing at bad pitches, which is great. Yeah. And then Vasquez can drive him in. So it's just so perfectly balanced. It's just, we just need some offense before and after it. So, so we'll see. I mean, Baltimore in theory should be a good, um, a good series to, to get that going. Um, I'm not going to get too far into the dishonorables here. I mean, hopefully Evaldi figures it out. Whitlock, you know, tough situation there, pitching in, in extras. The ump squeezed him, but, you know, he also grooved a 93-mile-an-hour fastball middle into a lefty, and it, you know, got launched down the I, line. I can't, so. I, can't even, I can't even let him be a dishonorable mention without yeah. mentioning the fact that at some point he's got to come back it, to earth. That was going to happen. It, been, it, it had to happen at some yeah. point, and it just it sucks that that's the situation. But he was also that was the soonest he's been used by Cora all season. All season it's been three days at the minimum, and then we saw him on two days rest. Um, and he got squeezed to the bottom of the zone. He kind of lost control a little bit, and then he grew one. Like you mentioned, I I can't even hate on the Garrett Whitlock factor there. It's it's not his normal pattern. It's not his normal role, and he's still slotting back in Tommy John. So it's not like he's going to blow guys away with ninety five. Yeah, hopefully this puts um, all the fan barking of we want him, to, we want to see him more to rest because I mean, you flat out shouldn't. Um, <laughs> he was doing great on five days rest. Just pair him up with a different starter or two and just reap the benefits of a guy rehabbing and also tearing it up for you. Because how often does that happen? Yeah, I mean, his velocity was down like two to three miles an hour. Uh, his control was still good, but not great. Uh, I just, I think you can't expect him to be as great as he's been. And people seem to put him on this pedestal of, oh, he's the savior of the bullpen. Like, no, he's been great, but that was going to happen at some point. Just the timing sucks. He wasn't even throwing his changer, which was a concerning thing. He didn't have a feel for it. Um, he wasn't ready to go back, you know, pitch that night. He needs more rest is what it comes down to. And hopefully this uh, takes the pressure off him. I just want to see how he bounces back. He said all the right things in the post game uh, interview, and didn't didn't seem to be rattled. He was very accountable and knew what he did wrong. So, um, you know, that's the spot where I want to see Hero. If I'm being honest, like I, I can't remember if he pitched earlier in that game. I don't think he did. I think he pitched the day before. But that's a spot where you just don't want to give up the home. Yeah, you're gonna probably let the guy in from second base, right? That's probably how it's gonna work in extras that you got to get to. So, I want to see Hero with that splitter. That splitter is is tailor made for ground balls and strikeouts. So he would have been my go to there. And I'm not gonna hate the move because I think Whitlock has been lights out. Go to the best pitcher, but Hero would have been my guy. He actually did pitch earlier in that game. Cause it that and that was why I was so frustrated with Franchi because Taylor, Hero, Ottavino, and Barnes all went scoreless, and then and then finally, unfortunately, it unraveled with with Whitlock. But had that had that error not happened, one run less, and then it just ends with Barnes and 
And yeah, and I think Salamora is a guy that will eventually emerge as at least an eighth inning guy. I, I think he has that makeup. Uh, I think he's thrown a splitter a little less from what I could tell um, in in recent outings. He there was that game in Texas. He gave up the two doubles right away. Um, you know, scuffled a little bit, and I, I know he's been he's given up a couple of dingers too. So hopefully, he just can get into a a longer groove here and uh he could very well emerge because i mean who is the eighth inning guy right now i mean it's Ottavino. at this point it's Ottavino, but Ottavino hasn't shown me anything yeah how comfortable this is my role right we're not comfortable with that at all uh we gotta we're 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 acting like the uh other show here always going 90 and that's what this one will be (laughs) so uh let's just get into the uh series real quick against baltimore i have no idea what to expect they can definitely hit and score some runs, so our pitching has to be good. We could also um, do some damage against them. We got Rodriguez and Matt Harvey in the opener. Harvey, I, I'm not saying he's pitching like his old self, but he's found a way to be relevant again and is pitching probably the best he has since 2015, so... Um, this is kind of a, an interesting matchup. How do you guys see it going? Tomorrow I have, I have it a loss. Uh, this was too long of a series and I don't think they're going to use any of their main guys out of the bullpen. So I can see getting away. I, if they win, I'm happy, but I'm not expecting much tomorrow. Uh, this game, like Andrew said, I'm not expecting much. This rests solely on how fast Eduardo Rodriguez can get out. If he can go seven innings, I think they got a shot. He goes less than seven innings. I think we probably lose tomorrow. And that's not to say that I think we're going to get shut down. I just I don't know who you're going to go to for outs. Because if yeah. you have to go to Barnes, like he's got to be done. He needs the rest for his own health. So I don't know who you go to late in games. The good news is it's not a very scary lineup. So it is possible to get a win, but it's going to rest solely on Eduardo Rodriguez how deep he can get you. Well, Barnes didn't pitch today. Um, that I, that I could tell, and he did not. But he needs consecutive days. I mean, five innings, five innings followed by uh, five outs followed by three outs. He's thrown like forty five pitches in the last four days. But he needs a day off uh, on top of today, in my opinion. So I think he's probably on the list of guys that you don't go to tomorrow. As is Andres, who's pitched two games in a row, and Ottavino, who's pitched two days in a row. So I think you're probably looking at. Darwinson, Hernandez, Hero, and Taylor are probably the three arms available. I was going to say Valdez and then Hero are going to be your two guys, and you hope to God that <laughs> um, Erod gives you seven. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. That that would probably give us our best chance if he can go seven. He's coming off of probably his worst start of the year, so, um, so probably a long shot. Uh, Garrett Richards versus uh, To Be Determined. Uh, so not a lot to go on there. I guess we're just kind of hoping for a good start from Richards. He did get thumped against Baltimore. That was his first start of the year. So um, if I guess if Garrett Richards is battling just Baltimore and not himself and Baltimore, um, he'll he'll probably hold up fine. I would think. I, I pencil that one in as a win. Even if even if we get Garrett Richards from his first start where he was not good, 
I still think we can win that game. I just there's no arm on the Baltimore Orioles that scares me except John Means. I think we can put up serious runs. And if everyone gets a day off tomorrow from the bullpen standpoint, you can put in some arms to, to go some innings if you have to um, for Richards. But if Richards can give you five, I think we probably win game. And I'll, I'll be at that game. So I'm a little biased here. I'll be at game two. I, I really want to see a win. They're going to so lose. I'm hoping that we see Garrett. Well, if Garrett Richards is Garrett Richards from, you know, two weeks ago, well, we can win. If it's three weeks ago, I'm going to be chanting DFA from the stand. <laughs> well, with the Richards start, it's going to come down to the offense. They've only scored eight runs in his 30 innings pitch so far, which is the lowest on the staff. Uh, it's pretty pathetic. They have not given him any run sports whatsoever. Pavetta's got 29 runs. Erod's gotten 24. Ivaldi going into today had 28. Uh, yeah, you got a hit for him. Uh, and if he can give you six strong, should be a win. I have no idea who they're going to be throwing out there. But if uh, they don't pull out the win tomorrow night, I do think that they're I, – I have it as a win on uh, Saturday. Yeah, like I said, you know, if he's – you know, if his mind's in the right place, I, I don't see why he, uh, you know, can't be solid. Um, Sunday, Nick Pavetta versus Dean Creamer. This is a cupcake matchup. Creamer, uh, has gotten creamed, no pun intended, uh, most of the year, 643 ERA, and Pavetta is, um, the most consistent starting pitcher we have, so, um... I think we can go chalk on that one. I think we all think that they're going to win that one, and the offense should put up a good amount of runs. Yeah, I think the bottom... Of the Orioles' rotation is double A. They're not even triple A pitchers. In Kramer and Lopez, they really don't belong at the big league. So we sh- we should take game three. Similar similar numbers with Lopez, like you mentioned. He'll be going up against Martin Perez on Monday, and that's actually a night game. Um, I guess what we're looking for in that series is just is in that game, excuse me, is that Perez is just in a rhythm and uh, not giving up a lot of hits. Well, yeah, we're looking for five innings from Perez, and that would be, in my mind, probably the first time we see Whitlock again. We might see him in the Nick Pavetta start. We have to. But in my mind, the next game we see Garrett Whitlock is going to be in Perez's next start. And it'll be Perez for five, Whitlock for three, Barnes to shut the door. That'd be ideal. Yeah, we uh, I mean, these guys we should hit. So fingers crossed that they actually come through with that. Hopefully. I think we'll see a lot of Franchi Cordero in this series, too. I think um, that's my, my big prediction. We're going to see Franchi Cordero in probably the first three games. Uh, no matter what, and then depending on the result, we'll see him in game four against Lopez. Uh, the reason I say that is because he had three hits today in the game where he wasn't supposed to start. Um, you know, he had to pinch run the first inning for PK and go from there. So I think he would slot in to start today, uh, tomorrow anyway, but on top of the fact that he is starting to get, you know, he got his barrel on the bat yesterday, or rather today, um, I think they'll give him as many opportunities as they can here in the next couple of days to get hits. And if he doesn't get hot, that's probably when we see the roster after this year. 
I think, I mean, I feel like I jinx it lately with my predictions, but this should be a a three-win series. It really should be. And I'll take a split. I'll take a split. Yeah, I was going to say, you hope for three and you settle for two. Anything less than that, that's uh, that's not great. (laughs) We are. If you lose to the Orioles here, you might lose the division lead. Uh, That would not be ideal because if you're playing catch up, going down the stretch here where you have Oakland, Anaheim, Toronto, Philly, Atlanta, Miami, and Houston before you even go to New York to see the Yankees. You're you're in trouble. I mean, from now until our next soft series after this one, in my eyes, it's not until the end of June when we play Kansas City for four at home. That's probably our next, you know, certain three of four, hope for four of four. And even then, who knows? They're playing good baseball. But, uh, you know, you got to go to New York. you got to go to Houston. you got to play Houston at home. Uh, you got to play the Yankees, Atlanta, Miami. Those are all good teams, potential playoff teams. So you, you need this one, especially if you're going to stay competitive in the division that's on the upswing. Everybody in the division is, is starting to hit. So it's going to be tough. Yeah, we're going to know exactly who these players are by – Mid to late June, like you said. I mean, is Pavetta for real? We're going to know that. Richards as well. Um, what the bullpen looks like. The, the only thing uncomfortable for me coming into the series, like we agreed on, is uh, the bullpen is not in a great place. But um, but hopefully they just they right the ship, and hopefully we hit – and the starters are solid, and we just get back on that course. I think we have Oakland next, who's played. Uh, we, we lost there for a second, Terry, but oh, our sorry. understanding what you're saying is hopefully we hit and we don't have to tax the bullpen too much because that's what we're all hoping for. Exactly. So we'll uh, we'll see how they do. And um, I guess we'll just wrap it from there. Probably come on for a bonus segment on Saturday or so. We'll record it on Saturday since the uh, series won't wrap until no, Monday. No, Terry's going to find a way to blame the iPhone for this. But, Terry, yeah. we can't hear you if you can hear that's, us. That's a, <laughs> if the audience is still with me, I'm just, yeah. They don't know that I'm wrapping the show right now. So, um, so for you guys, take care. Like I said, we'll probably see you for a bonus segment on uh, Saturday and then uh, the next regular show on Monday. Take care.